We had quite a codependent relationship, my mum and me. Like she, she's had her mental health stuff going on, but she was also a nurse and then she was trained to be a midwife. You know, those sorts of hours and shift work is really hard to do with three kids. And I think for some reason it suited me as well. It's not all on her. Like it did suit me to want to be at home because I didn't want to go to school mm. and I wanted to hide away. And it helped her out because... I was helping out run the house, look after my brothers, and then we would have dinner together and watch a program. And I've made my peace with it mm -hmm. all, for sure. And I understand her point of view as well. Hello there and welcome to Mental Health at Work, the podcast where company leaders and employees reveal the mental health stories that shaped how they think about work and themselves. This week it's Hannah Meredith, health and wellbeing partner at MVF, who explains how finally confronting her lifelong anxiety opened doors for her, both personally and professionally, and why more companies should hire someone dedicated to employee wellbeing full-time. This podcast is brought to you by Oliva, proper mental health support for the whole team. Hi, Hannah. Welcome to Mental Health at Work podcast. How are you feeling today? Thank you. Actually, my anxiety is a little bit high today or this week, so but it's actually probably quite good timing because we're here to talk about mental health, right? But other than that, I'm, I'm all good. Thank you. That's a, that's a big opening. I can already jump and ask you questions <laughs> about it. <laughs> no, no, that's all good. <laughs> we'll park, park that one like, for a how, second. <laughs> so how do you know that you're anxious or you're feeling anxiety? Racing heart breathlessness and sort of a sense of dread that's how I kind of experience it and sometimes yeah that just comes on for no no reason at all you just I think you just have weeks where it's like that or days where you wake up feeling like that and there's no reason quite often it's if I've been on the go a lot and there's a lot of things flying at me with work then it sort of spikes stuff yeah right? makes so. sense yeah, yeah yeah so you were saying that perhaps like a lot of work tell us a little bit because I think it's really amazing yeah. what you do. So if you can, like, I think no one better than you can give us an overview of yeah, what sure. you do and how you ended up doing that. So I work for MVF, a digital marketing tech company, and I've been here for, for kind of seven years now. I'm MVF's health and wellbeing partner, so I'm basically responsible for health and wellbeing at MVF. So I, that means that I run our health and wellbeing strategy and I'm also responsible for all of the policies and training and initiatives and everything that fall under that strategy. So obviously mental health is in the wellbeing strategy. So it's a huge part of it. And I've been doing that since 2017 at MVF. I actually joined MVF in a different capacity initially when we were just 100 people. But we are a very, very fast growth company and we're at nearly 600 employees 600. Now. Wow. Yeah, from from a hundred when I joined in in kind of sort of six seven years ago. So it's a very fast paced environment. There's a lot of pressure on people. There's a lot of targets, and people obviously are expected to to perform. 
which is fantastic. It makes it a very interesting company to work for. There's never a dull moment. But the role really was created five years ago now to obviously, yeah, address employee health and wellbeing. And really, we were already kind of doing what I was doing quite a lot in that space. I was bringing speakers in to talk about mental health and running yoga sessions and, and just small things like that. But I've got obviously a, a vested interest in it. And there was a strong appetite for it at MVF. And we created the role of health and wellbeing advisor at that time. And I was tasked with coming up with our health first health and wellbeing strategy. Mm. So it's an environment that is quite challenging. And at the same time, that could be challenging also for the mental health. And that's why this position is so crucial here, that you can facilitate and provide resources for employees to thrive yeah. in this atmosphere. Definitely. I think, you know, all businesses do have a responsibility to make sure they're looking after employee well-being, but particularly when you're in quite a high stress environment and there's a lot of moving parts for the organization, for the employees, it's really important, even more important to make sure that there's a lot of support and a lot of training for managers as well. That's that's a huge part of it. So yeah, we're quite a way into our health and well-being strategy now and we were probably one of the early companies to do something like this and to have a dedicated role as well. We see very high engagement with it and it's quite normal at MBF now to know about employee wellbeing and to know what the wellbeing strategy is and to know where to get support and to talk about mental health and all these sorts of things. So we're quite fortunate that we had that head start embedding the strategy. Was there anything that triggered this, like a difficult situation or was how was this born? Not a difficult situation at all. Obviously, I sort of brought it to our CPO, Ange, who, Ange Patico, who is absolutely amazing. And I think we wanted to be, you know, ahead of the curve in that sense of making sure we've got, um, you know, a dedicated role to this. So it wasn't really a difficult situation. It's more about prevention, mm. sort of being better than cure and being that very proactive about well-being. And I think that drives the ethos behind our strategy as well. It's all about early intervention and prevention. And when that doesn't work, obviously, there's a lot of times where more reactive support is needed, that you've got layers of supports and benefits that you can can lean on to, to really sort of help your employees mm. through whatever they're going through. What would you say are the main benefits of having this figure in a business? First of all, shows people that it's important to the business and then it also acts as someone that employees feel trusted in so a lot of the time I spend is, is very hands-on with employees so having someone that isn't their manager that isn't the HR business partner mm. is a bit more of a confidential safe space and then health and well-being is vitally important to a business and obviously having someone whose role is dedicated to run that is going to be beneficial I believe for your business in the long run because you're going to have happier healthier employees and that's going to help your business mm. to be more profitable essentially although that's hard to prove at the moment. I was that wasn't my next question do you have any metrics or how do you measure the success of your strategies that you were talking about before? At the moment, we've used employee engagement data to measure how we are doing in terms of how people feel about their well-being and how that's looked after at work. We have really favorable data. It's always really positive. But what we are looking to work on now is 
stronger KPIs really for the strategy in order to prove. So we know the effect we're having on employees. We know that impact. But what impact are we having actually on the business? Mm. Are we driving profitability? Are we impacting retention and attrition? I think talking to different people in the industry, it's quite difficult to prove the ROI as well on well-being and the money that you spend and that you invest and linking that directly to business outcomes. But another one I'm curious about is perhaps looking at people citing mental health as a reason for absence. And obviously that data would have gone up because people are now more comfortable to talk about it or to say that's why they would like time off to their manager because of the work that we've done. But what I was thinking recently was that could be an interesting metric to look at to prove that we are having an impact on how people feel about being honest about mental health and sort of breaking down that stigma mm. a bit. But I need to speak to my boss about that still and see if it would be a good one to start to look at. But Yeah, I would even say yeah, like you curious. can take it a step even further. And even if they are not on sick leave for psychological reasons even you can also ask like I don't know they have a stomachache and they didn't come and you can ask the question do you think this has anything to do with stress or any other psychological factor that could be reflected in the physical yeah absolutely because mental health can manifest in the body as well as I was explaining to you exactly I asked you and you didn't say well I feel a little bit no you said like my heart is racing (laughs) I can feel this and it's it's very yeah it's it's very mm, physical isn't mm, it absolutely it can be yeah yeah and some people (laughs) like I have stress and I know that my in quotes like weak area let's say is like my headaches I have migraines and other people is a stomach other people is like I don't know many times there is a psychological reason behind it but it's just yeah. manifesting in in the body absolutely and I think you know you can get a lot of insights from looking at absence data and and what that's telling you if you're looking at an individual sort of record like is there a pattern and like you say it could be a migraine it could be a stomach issue it could be a few things you know a month but usually there's something more going on Hmm. so what are the let's say top initiatives that you have implemented around mental health that you're like this was game changer one of the first mental health initiatives that we ran, so it was quite early on in the strategy, was to ask MVFers to share their mental health experiences. And that could have been done anonymously or it could be named. And we, we had yeah, a lot of response, a lot of engagement, and it really set the scene for being able to talk about mental health at MVF. Also built a lot of empathy, I think, with people who wouldn't normally understand what it was about or haven't really come across it before people are curious naturally right so they want to have a look at all oh, what's this story about and, and, and quite often it would be people you don't know what's going on right in, for people or what they've been through and, and everyone has a story I think I believe as well and obviously we've made sure we did it in quite a safe way because you know you've really got to make sure you've got trigger warnings you've got signposting at the start people know where they can get support if they are triggered because obviously some of the stories have, have really quite deep and people have been through a lot that you wouldn't you know wouldn't necessarily expect what personal experiences made you be where you are professionally yeah it's so funny because we jumped in with the work stuff didn't we but (laughs) 
Yeah, so personally, I so I have lived experience of mental health mm. illness um, and I have anxiety. It's completely manageable now and I'm really lucky that it is, but there was a time in my life where it was completely unmanageable and actually I didn't realise I had anxiety. So I was coming up to my 30th birthday and my mental health had really deteriorated over the last, I'd say, I'd been in a relationship for seven years that was pretty unhealthy and probably over the last four years of that relationship, it got worse and worse. Um, I ended up working for my ex, being very isolated, working from home. I wasn't having much social interaction either. They were also away a lot, so I was on my own a lot and my mental health really got worse. But at the time, I didn't know that was anxiety, which just seems so crazy now to think because obviously I felt I was having a heart attack every day. Mm -hmm. I was having paranoid delusions. I was convinced people were talking about me if I got on a train. It was quite out of control. Somehow I got out of that relationship and I had to leave. I don't know how I did that, but I had to just get myself out of there. Then I went to the doctor and they said, well, you know, it sounds like you might have anxiety and they prescribe me beta blockers. Having that diagnosis was honestly revelationary because I'd always felt these things actually since childhood, but I never really knew what they were. And the worst part is my dad's actually a mental health nurse, mm. but it wasn't ever at that out, out of control, I suppose. So as a child, it manifested in me refusing to go to school. If I was at a party, I can remember being like four years old and not taking part in games, like sitting out. I didn't want anyone to look at me. I wouldn't want to do anything that was going to draw attention to me. What was your fear? I think, you know, at the time I just wanted to hide. I just wanted to hide away. And I was sort of told, oh, you're shy, you're shy, you know, or your auntie's shy or your dad's shy. It's normal. And I'm not, I'm not a shy person <laughs> at all. Now I'm, you know, an adult. I know that I'm definitely not, but I also hated school, absolutely refused to go. When I was quite old, so that my dad didn't know, I'd be like, bye, pretend I'd left the house, and then go and creep upstairs, hide under my bed, and wait until he would, he had gone, so he didn't know I wasn't going to school. What were you hiding from um, beyond going to I school? I think I just didn't want to deal with that life because there was a lot going on at home with my mum. So I think I wanted to be there for her it was a bit of a kind of codependent relationship she needed me and I needed her or wanted to try and help her so I kind of spent a lot of time looking after my little brothers and running the house for her you know my dad he was a mental health nurse in London and we didn't live in London at the time so he would only be there like at the weekends or on a Wednesday night so yeah I think I was avoiding the real world because there was just so much to deal with as a child there at home I think looking back on it that was obviously my anxiety but as I say until I had that doctor's appointment when I was nearly 30 I didn't know. How is to be a kid with anxiety? It's hard to remember everything I think because you're you kind of I think your mind must block out certain things because it's traumatic you know I don't feel like, oh, poor me, I had such a terrible childhood or anything. Like, I was very loved and I've got an amazing family. But, you know, my mum, she had her own stuff going on with mental health. And my parents were 22 when they had me. I mean, I can't imagine that's... I'm still not ready. And I'm like, 37. <laughs> you know, it's... Being a parent, as you know, it's a big it's a big challenge. And they were so young and 
so I don't feel like, oh, I had a terrible, I don't remember being, you know, having a terrible time. I just remember wanting to hide away a lot. And that was all I wanted to do. Hearing that from very young age, you were taking care of your mum, where a kid shouldn't have any of those responsibilities. That doesn't sound like it was an easy childhood either. We had quite a codependent relationship, my mum and me. Like she, she's had her mental health stuff going on, but she was also a nurse and then she was trained to be a midwife. You know, those sorts of hours and shift work is really hard to do with three kids. And I think for some reason it suited me as well. It's not all on her. Like it did suit me to want to be at home because I didn't want to go to school mm. and I wanted to hide away. And it helped her out because... I was helping out run the house, look after my brothers. And then we would have dinner together and watch a program. And she would write me notes, obviously, for school. Because otherwise they would have been like, what's going on? I've made my peace with it mm -hmm. all, for sure. And I understand her point of view as well. And when you were 30 and you realized that you were in an unhealthy relationship and you needed to go out of it, mm -hmm. how did it feel? absolutely terrifying I realized that I needed to leave probably a year year and a half before I actually could it took a long time to pluck up the courage because I didn't have a job you know I was in a bad financial situation because I've been working for the business I wasn't being paid and you know just doing whatever admin and, and things like that so it feels like um, again you yeah, were in a terrifying. dependency relationship yeah it wasn't it wasn't healthy you know uh, and it was really hard Um, it was really, really hard to do. And I had to be so strong because they weren't accepting it as well. But I had to know there was no way. Once I went, that, there was no way back from that. You know, it was done, but they, they took a long time to accept it. And I, I felt guilty about that for years. But it was the right thing for me. <laughs> I've, I've healed so much, you know, over the last seven years since then. Eight years nearly. Um but I still feel really bad that I ruined their life, you know. That's a big thing to carry. Yeah, there's still a little bit, but it's faded. And people don't understand that, you know, my friends will be like, why? He's a grown man, mm. why? You know, But he wasn't well either, really, you know. Mm. But it kind of inspired me as well with my mom and with that relationship to start to unpack that stuff because I think once you get to your 40s, If you haven't started to look at anything, I think it becomes a little bit too daunting. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's the case for everyone. Of yeah, course, it was your it's never experience. too late. But yeah, I think for like for my mum and, and for my ex, it's, it, those behaviours and, and that stuff that you, you know, those neuropathways are so ingrained that you become more inflexible to, to change and it can be really difficult to start because you're going back even further into your life to kind of start to unpack all of that. So you go to therapy? Yeah, I've had therapy. I've had lots of coaching. I mean, I, kundalini yoga, actually, that's been absolutely amazing for me because it creates physical changes in mm. your body for the breathing techniques and everything. And you're creating like stress-busting hormones and all of this and and it's also very like slow it's quite yin I mean it can be quite challenging as well but that's been really good for me and I have to maintain a self-care routine otherwise <laughs> disaster so yeah it's, it's making sure you're continually doing all those things to support myself and 
I have to do that because of my job as well, because I can't support anyone if I'm not supporting myself. Mm. I hear that you went through anxiety throughout all your life. And at the same time, you learned how that is for you. And now you're being able to identify those things easier than before. And also like having an, a label to it, it helped you understand better. And nowadays you can prevent those things or see that they are about to come. And some strategies help you prevent going further on those and things like physical exercise, like Kundalini. And yeah. you can really understand that that helps you like physical health is very intertwined with mental health mm -hmm. and that boundaries are very important for you. And I'm hearing almost like you're taking care of many people's mental health. You also need to do it for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, it's, you know, it's really hard because I would always say like, you've got to, you know, fill your cup first. <laughs> yeah. Don't help someone, you know, you learn all of this in mental health first aid training. But I think it's not it's not just about walking on by if someone is struggling and you don't feel okay. It's continually making sure you've got those coping strategies, making sure you've got things in your toolkit that help to fill your cup all the time. And really like checking in with yourself and having those boundaries, I think, is, is crucial. Mm. What piece of advice would you give to someone that has problems with setting boundaries because <laughs> I think that's a common one you have to I think just have an audit of what things are encroaching into your personal life it can be also with with your friends I mean sometimes I've had to recently reestablish boundaries as well you know it's it's not just at work you know I think you can always give too much of yourself to people so really like sitting down and, and being honest with yourself there's no point lying to yourself at all even just try to write them down. What What is going to help me? What are the things that are non-negotiable? Is that turning off slack or only working during the working hours, even getting out for a walk every day, just making sure you have some things that are non-negotiables for you that you have to do. And that will be different for everyone, right? But just spending that time, I guess, um, to allow yourself to think about it and agree them with, with yourself and stick to mm. them. A good friend of mine, she was struggling with putting boundaries in her personal life. So she would say yes mm. to appointments and things and going here and helping that person without checking like, am I really wanting to do this? Am I postponing something that is a personal need for this? And she explicitly started saying to everyone, I'm working on my boundaries. So please, is nothing with you? Unfortunately, I can't do it now because I uh, have other needs. Like, like explicitly saying I'm working on my boundaries made her take this step a bit further and also to yeah. make it easy for herself. And she was saying that people were Absolutely. super supportive and they didn't take it personally. I've literally got goosebumps when you're saying that because I've really noticed recently with my friends, if one of you says that, you know, I've been so busy I'm here, there and everywhere. I just need, I have got a free weekend, but I need to rest. The response that I'm getting back um, is, is we're all like fully supportive of it for each other. And actually people are like, do you know what? I'm absolutely exhausted and, you know, I totally agree. Let's let, you know, we're going to, I know we're going to get together at some point. It's like, it's, I don't know. It's kind of um, driving change mm. just in a little way amongst each other that, I think especially from going from doing nothing for nearly two years to a lot of 
plans it's overwhelming and people are exhausted and feeling burnt out and that's yeah it's I've really noticed it with my friends when you know either they've needed to say look I'm sorry you know I need to set some just look after myself and it's yeah it's really amazing to see it actually and but yeah I'm really pleased for your friend <laughs> so Hannah I'm hearing that when you took that step of leaving your relationship that wasn't healthy for you you were in a bad situation that it didn't make that decision easier but at the same time like that pushed you or that open opportunities professionally speaking so I can see that it's very linked together like your personal story with what you're doing and you'd almost feel like you took your history of anxiety of going through difficult relationships as a motivator to do what you are doing right now in your company in your yeah. role it drives me every day to want to get up and show up for other people and, and do this job it, it's not an easy job <laughs> I, I don't think it's for everyone I think you need a lot of resilience and sometimes I don't have it but again that's why I have to have my boundaries because it is you know you're, you're dealing with all sorts of issues that people are going through but also having to have that more strategic business head-on as well like driving the strategy and using the insights that you're getting from those one-to-one -one experiences with people to drive the the strategy forward and, and it's, it's very rewarding mm -hmm. because you obviously have that one-on-one -on -one contact and you know people are so grateful that we have this role but it's also can be difficult to listen to, to people so um, I have supervision now so I, I have someone that I can offload mm -hmm. to which is just in a professional capacity and that's been really helpful so um, I'd say if the business is thinking about implementing these roles make sure you're thinking about that, person that person's well-being yeah. as well yeah I can yeah. see your face it lights up when you're talking about your work your role and the impact that you're having it I can really see how it makes you happy I just feel so lucky to to have this role and be doing something that's that I find is, is really meaningful and obviously has a, it has a lot of purpose for me so yeah I do love it <laughs> I'm happy to hear that you're getting the recognition of the work that you're doing thank you so much for sharing all this with us thank you it's been lovely thank you so much I really enjoyed it I could talk to you <laughs> very I'm happy to hear that and I hope that you can go to Kundalini today and bring those anxiety level down I'll be logging on to a course today so definitely thank, thank you thank you Hannah take care This episode of Mental Health at Work was hosted by Maite Otero, produced by Billy Cragen, and brought to you by Oliva. Proper mental health support for the whole team. Thanks to Hannah for making life easy for Mai by going straight in with the anxiety chat. If you're a fan of the podcast, you can like or subscribe to Mental Health at Work in all the usual places. And if you really want to help us beat the podcast search engine algorithms, you can also leave us a review on Apple or Spotify, preferably a positive one. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.